And as we look to this, uh, this subject that is before us, we'd like to start our lesson text or our reading text in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Um, and again, our subject is cre- keeping Christ's commandments. John writes, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. And so that's where we'd like to stop our lesson reading this morning at the fourth, uh, fourth verse of First John chapter 2. And, uh, and you know, as we start thinking about this, this verse of Scripture, you know, John gets into this, uh, and the first thing he says is, I write unto you that you sin not. Now, that's not saying that none of us have sinned. Uh, as a matter of fact, we can go back and we can read about the woman at the well who Jesus had encountered. And when he encountered that woman at the well, he asked her to go fetch her husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, have you said that you don't have a husband? Because you don't have a husband. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing some of this. He said, you had indeed have five husbands. And this really caused that woman to marvel because she had not said that, that she had five husbands. Um, but Jesus um, showed her, I'm the one who is omniscient. I know everything. I know everything about everyone. And so if you're here today and you think you're going to hide your sin from the Lord, you're absolutely uh, mistaken in that thought that you're going to hide your sin from God. Your sin will eventually find you out. If not in the course of your life in this world, it will find you out at the day of judgment and you don't want it to find you out then. It's actually a blessing to have God uh, condemn you for your sin while you're alive in this world because you've got opportunity then to seek God for forgiveness and uh, for uh, for mercy. Uh, and that's what Jesus was uh, born into the world for. He was born into the world uh, to, to be an atonement for the sins of man. Uh, and so John here, he, he he picks up on that thing that Jesus told the woman at the well uh, when he said, go and sin no more. John here, he says, he's writing to uh, writing in his letter here, and he says, I write unto you that you sin not. He's in agreement with Paul when Paul writes and he says, Therefore I beseech you, my brethren, by the mercies of the living God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord God, which is our reasonable service. But John's not ignorant of the fact that you probably will sin after being saved. See, there's people in the world today who say, well, you get saved, you ought never sin again. Well, that would be great if when we got saved, we also got absolved of the Adamic nature which lies in the flesh of man. But we retain that, don't we? We retain that up until the day that we die. 
and then it's sown in corruption, but then there's going to come a day when it's going to be raised in incorruption. And that's the day that we look forward to, it. And those of us that's been saved. When those things which does hinder us, when those things are, are purged away, and we rise with a new body, uh, and it's not a body like we have in this world that it's experienced that sin, the sins of this life, uh, but it's a new body. It's been purged of all of those things, and those things that does so easily beset us, as the Bible teaches us, uh, they're going to be done away with, but that's not an excuse for us to live in them at, at, while we're here in this world. We ought to mortify the flesh, uh, and so we see this taught here. Uh, and, the, and then G he says, but if you do sin, John says, we've got an advocate, and that's what everybody is looking for in the world today. If you find yourself wrapped up in the legal system, an attorney is an advocate. That's somebody who goes to bat on your behalf and pleads your case so that mercy might be granted. And that's what Jesus does there, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, he makes intercession on our behalf. Well, I'm thankful that we can take our petition straight to our intercessor, aren't you? None of us are perfect. None of us are going to live a perfect life. Uh, I believe... Uh, Brother Matlock uh, has always often said, who was it, Brother Matlock, that you said the only time that he's ever lived above sin? <laughs> Give me that story one more time. Who was it? You, I can't remember who it was. Is somebody who lived above a, a bar or something like that, and he said it's the only time he ever lived above sin? Uh, but, uh, but you, yeah, you said that story a bunch of times. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> now I'm going to make him think throughout the rest of this service. And I did that on purpose. <laughs> but none of us are above that. We're all going to... Uh, the Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And so that's, an, that's not there as an excuse for us to continue to do those things. That's there as a reminder that that, that nature still lies in our flesh. And he says... And look how he addresses Jesus. And he says... Because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Not Jesus Christ, one of the righteous. He's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so you may be here today and you may be saying, well, geez, how is it that I'm going to get to heaven? Well, it's not going to be by works, because if it's by works, then you have reason to boast when you stand before God at the seat of judgment. When we get, when you get saved, what is it that saves you? It's not the right, the righteous works that you do. It's the righteous work that Christ did at Calvary. And it's that imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is accredited to your account which that's what gets a person to heaven. You go and you read about uh, the day of judgment. We can read in the book of Revelation. You go read about the day of judgment. Uh, and the books are open and we're judged out of the books. But then another book is opened, isn't it? And that's the book of the Lamb's book of life. And whosoever is found written in the Lamb's book of life, God will not take his part out of the, uh, out of heaven, will he? We're guaranteed to make it into heaven if we're written, if we're found written in that book. How do you get written in that book? Well, you've got to be saved, don't you? You've got to get under conviction. You've got to come to know the Lord. And I'm, we're going to point out this. This is very important in keeping the Christ commandments. You have to know the Lord if you're going to keep 
Christ's commandments. You can't do it on your own will and volition. John reminds them that he died not for our sins, meaning the sins of those in the audience he's writing to, but for the sins of the whole world. So I've got bad news for the Calvinists. John disagrees with you. John says he didn't just die for my sins and the sins of the audience of this letter. He died that everybody could be saved. You see, the opportunity to be saved is universal. It's to every person. There's nobody whose sins are greater than the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. And so we look at that and we can say very plainly and very simply, that Christ is an atonement for sin. That's what that word propitiation means. Uh, we're going to look at that word just for a second. Hilasmos is the word in the Greek. Uh, and here's the definition of that word. The definition of it is atonement. And that is concretely an expiator. And that means one uh, that atones for sin. That's what expiation means. Uh, and it means propitiation. So that's what hilasmos means in the Greek. And, and so here we get into it. And John says, and this is the evidence. And so this is, if we look at this through the lens and the context of what Christ taught, He says, what? By your fruits, or by their fruits, you shall know them, right? Do they demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit against which there's no law written? Or do they demonstrate the fruits of... that the, the, they, they, Do they have fruit that demonstrate that the Spirit of God's not there? I guess I should say, I kind of stumbled over that. But do they demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And now that's not, huh? Well, that said that. But uh, I, I gave you the go fish version. <laughs> we used to listen to that in the car all the time, didn't we, Lily? Kaylee heard that version one time. She said, what in the world is this that you're listening to? I was like, hey, we're hip in this car. Sorry. So, But he says, this is the evidence that you know him. If we keep his commandments. And in the fourth verse, he backs that up and he says, and if somebody says that he knows him and he keepeth not his commandments, he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. So the question's this. What are the commandments? Is, is, does Christ save us to take us back to Sinai? So that the law which was given at Sinai, that that's the expectation that everybody that is saved is expected to live by and that they're expected to prove their righteousness through the keeping of the law. And so let's go back and let's look here just for a minute. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, and uh, in, in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we'll start in verse 3. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to go and read the whole thing. I don't want to tear your patience, but let's just rehash the law. This is the moral law of God. And the moral law of God is still in effect. 
Uh, it's not the moral law of God that was done away with at Calvary. It was the ceremonial law of God which was exhibited in all of those feast days and all of those sacrifices that they would make uh, for the atonement of sin. All of that's wrapped up in Christ. All of those were a picture of Christ, the one who they hung on a tree at Calvary and slain for the sins of uh, the whole world. Uh, and so here we look in Exodus chapter 20 starting in verse 3. What's it say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make uh, unto thee no uh, unto thee. Thou shalt not make unto thee uh, any graven image. Uh, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Uh, remember the Sabbath day. And I want us to touch on this one because most of these uh, are pretty well without debate. That one's with debate. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother, which the Bible teaches us is the first commandment that's given with promise. And what's the promise? That thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And so here, uh, he says, keep the commandments. And so here, uh, thou shalt not kill. Most of these are common sense. God didn't put a law on his people that was onerous to be kept. But this I would say to, to warn you, and James gives us this warning, that if you think you're going to keep the law for the salvation of your soul, if a man then desire and endeavor to keep the whole law and offend in one part, he's not just guilty of one part of the law, he's guilty of all the law. But thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, uh, we got a big problem with that one in the day and the age that we live in because we seem to condone that one most of the time. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his maid, manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's the law. But you know what's, what's just as, if not equally important to the law? And that is the motivation for keeping it. That actually comes after that last one I read. Because remember, if you know the Lord, and He resides in you, because we believe in the indwelling Spirit, because the Bible teaches that when you get saved, that the Spirit of God and Jesus Christ Himself takes up residence within your body. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, that your body is the temple of God, and you should, you should take care of it as such. But now listen to this. The people stood there in the 18th verse of that 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. It says, And the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noises of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak to us, lest we die. Don't you know that 
that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. And without the fear of the Lord, without that being in you, then there's no way possible that you can possibly keep the law in a way which is in compliance with what God commands. It has to be there. Without that fear of the Lord, without that initial knowledge, there are people today that say, don't preach about hell because you're going to make them scared. Well, if they don't understand to fall in the hands of a, of a holy God is not something to fear, then they're never going to get saved. But the Bible teaches us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You've got to understand that fear, and you've got to know that fear. And that fear is what will motivate you to keep the commandments, or it should motivate you to keep the commandments of the Lord, because you should not want to be uh, found in opposition to what the Lord would have. Now, He will not reject His own. We have that promise in Scripture. Uh, but nevertheless, while we're here in His world, He's our advocate in heaven, but we're His ambassadors on earth. And so you have to remember that if you're saved today, you're representing the Lord Jesus Christ today in everything you do and everything you say. You're representative, you're representative of Him here in this world. If you're saved, He's taken up residence inside your heart, then the fruits of the Spirit ought to be demonstrable. They ought to be able to be seen clearly. And so here, John gets into this lesson uh, and he gets into it very heavy. Uh, and then we look at these other commandments that are given because we can't look at the New Testament and say well all they talked about in the New Testament were the commandments that were written in the law because that's just not true because we can look just at Matthew chapter 28 and look at verses 18 through 20 and God gave us a bunch of different commandments to do didn't we? Jesus gives a bunch of different commandments. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth there's one head isn't there? There's one sovereign and that's Christ Jesus. He's the head of the church, and He's also the foundation of it, isn't He? And so here we see Him. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so what should you do? Not fear them which can destroy the body, but cannot destroy the soul, but rather destroy or fear Him which can destroy both body and soul in hell uh, for everlasting destruction, isn't it? That's who you need to move with fear uh, and towards that you might be able to escape that wrath to come because just the way, the same way that the wrath was poured out upon those in the end of the Luke, day, just the same way that wrath was poured out upon them uh, there in Nineveh, the same way that wrath was poured out upon them there in Sodom and Gomorrah, the same way that wrath was poured out on Israel and, Jeru and Jerusalem in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and in the days of Caesar. That wrath is coming again to this world. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun. And so he gives a couple commandments here. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them. So we see that uh, 
discipleship. The church is commanded, isn't it, to make disciples unto the Lord. The church is commanded that when those people get saved that they should be baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, they may make that, uh, witness there to the world that they're in because that's what baptism is it's just as much as it is a picture of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ and the death and the burial and the resurrection of the old man and the rising up of the new it is also a testimony of your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that's why they would always say and we'll touch on what Philip said when he's talking there to the Ethiopian eunuch and he says do you believe and he says I believe and he says well let's go down in the water Because baptism is an outward testimony to the world that you have believed in Jesus Christ to the saving of the soul. Jesus gave a commandment that we should do that. That's what he told John the Baptist. Suffer it to be so. For it behooveth us to, uh, for it behooveth us to, to uh, fulfill all righteousness. And so here he says that, uh, and he says this, and he says then teaching them to observe. So even after they're saved, we've got a commandment to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even in the end of the earth. And so we go on with another commandment that Jesus gave. And so we can see here, uh, that all of those ceremonies are wrapped up in uh, some ordinances that God left the church, didn't he? Uh, the ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. He gave us a commandment, didn't he, to keep the Lord's Supper. Not that that not that the the pieces of that or of that uh, of that Lord's Supper, meaning the 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 the, the juice uh, and the and the uh, and the bread, not that it can be blessed and become the actual blood and body of Christ. We don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation like the uh, like the Catholic churches do, uh, but we remit, we believe it exactly the way Christ uh, gave us the commandment to do it. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Jesus sacrificed himself for you and me and the whole world. And he said, this do in remembrance of me. When you keep the Lord's Supper, that's when you remember the sacrifice of Christ at Calvary. It's not on a calendar. It's every time we observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus at Calvary. That ought to be front and center every time that we observe the Lord's Supper. And we keep that commandment. Then he also took the cup and he said, this is the, uh, this, uh, this cup is the New Testament or the New Covenant prophesied by Ezekiel and Isaiah, uh, in my blood, which is shed for you. And so he gave that commandment there, didn't he, to keep the Lord's Supper. So that's a, a, a commandment that he gave while he was in the world. You won't find that commandment in the Old Testament. You won't find it there. Uh, it's actually a new commandment that he gave. And then there's another new commandment. John chapter 13, we read in verse 34, A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. As I've loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this, listen to what he says here, and by this shall all men know that ye are my 
disciples. When we get wrapped up in a lot of stuff in the world thinking we're proving that we're disciples of God, when we may, we may be actually doing the opposite. <laughs> and so if you're here today and you're lost, what do you need to take away from this? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to experience the fear of the Lord. You need to move with urgency. When you experience that fear and you need to move with urgency, I don't care where you get down and you ask God for forgiveness. I don't care if it's here on this bench. It's a really good place. You'll have a lot of saints around you to pray with you. Uh, it's a very good place to come and do it. But I don't care if it's here or if you are a private person and you need to do it away uh, on your own. Uh, do it wherever you got to do it. Wherever the Lord uh, leads you to, put an, to build an altar, build an altar there and you pray to the Lord. Lord, uh, until you get saved. And what do you mean, until I get saved, preacher? Till you know that you have acquired the righteousness of God. And it's manifested in this, isn't it? In that you know that you have obtained the forgiveness and the mercies, even the sure mercies of David. And you can come up and you can tell about it. <laughs> I can tell you about the time. I can tell you about the place where the Lord saved me by my works. No, by His wonderful grace. But the love that we demonstrate one for another should be it should manifestly declare that we're the children of God. There should be no war found in the house of God. And you say, why is that, preacher? We can have disagreements, but it better not be, it better not lead to vitriol, it better not lead to hatred, it better not lead to anger. Because if you if it leads there, then guess what? It's a manifest declaration that we are not the children of God. It's 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 basically tatamount to saying, Lo a me as Hosea named his secondborn, who was a walking reminder to the people in Israel in his day that they were no longer the people of God. And so John, we'll close with this. John, John says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And so, I'm not going to get into the Sabbath. That's another sermon for another day. I'll just say this, and I'll agree with Apostle Paul as it pertains to that. Another example that we are, we ought not ever forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Isn't that an amazing statement that John makes there? Whoso keepeth the word of God, but not just inwardly, but actually does it. And we'll close with this. This is another verse of Scripture that's often misinterpreted. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
Paul's not admire, admonishing you that through works that you have a part to play in your salvation. Paul's actually quoting Scripture. And I believe it's the second psalm. Don't quote me on that. I have, I'm pretty sure it is, though. And what he's actually saying there, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is he's saying, don't put it under a bushel, hidden away from the world. Use it. <laughs> Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. That's what Paul's admonishing there, and that's what we should do. Uh, it's not the keepers, uh, it's not the hearers of the word, uh, it's the doers of the word, isn't it? And so that's what he's saying here. Those that keep it by doing it. And so that's what we should have always strive to do. Those of us that's been saved, we should always strive to be, a, be I'm going to use a 21st century term. I think 21st century is correct, isn't it? 21st century. <laughs> oh, I get over my skis sometimes, but a 21st century term that we're come so familiar with in this corporatized environment we live in. And you got to be in compliance with the Lord, don't you? <laughs> if you're going to be his child. And John says that if you're, if you're found keeping his word in him verily, meaning in that person that keepeth the word of God, is the love of God perfected. Folks, manifest the love of God. That's our sermon this morning. If we want to keep the commandments of the Lord, then the love of God ought to be manifestly declared through us. Brother Williams, if you've got a song.